It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the NBA fanatic. I got Jay Smooth in the house and Mackenzie Rivers. You guys can find them on Twitter as well, at Mac and Rivers and at Smooth underscore 702. And you can find us all on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, here we go. Mackenzie and Smooth, let's talk a little NBA. We're going to talk NBA Saturday. Uh, currently right now we're recording during all of the Friday games, so we're not going to talk too much about the results from Friday, but we're going to look at a few games here on Saturday that we kind of talked through, talked through some concepts with some of these uh, oddball teams, some of these bottom feeder teams as well, talk about tanking, things of that nature. Smooth does have a play here that he wants to give out in the first game that will feature between the Cavaliers and the 76ers. 76ers, they'll be at home here. We talked about that team yesterday, Smooth, and how well 76ers have played at home. They're going to lay 10 points here, 10 and a half at some of these shops. As of right now, we don't have a current total on this one. How are you feeling about the Cavs 76ers tomorrow? Yeah, I'm liking the Sixers, you know, laying the 10 and a half. You know, relatively early in the season, I don't think the number is too high enough to back up to back off from. Um, there could also be some value, you know, taking them first half. Like we talked about yesterday, uh, just really like how the Sixers – have looked this year, you know, with Joel Embiid, especially with his, uh, you know, having a strong chance of winning an MVP. So I don't, you know, anticipate any type of letdown in this matchup, you know, with a team, you know, as bad as the Cavs are. And, you know, they have one of the best defenses in the league. You know, they rank top five in defensive rating and opponent effective field goal percentage. And, you know, with their last game against the, uh, the Mavs, who have a really good offense led by Luka Doncic, who's a top five offense as well. You know, they pretty much, you know, shut down the Mavs and uh, Ben Simmons did really good, you know, keeping Luka under control. You know, Luka only got up 13 shots, you know, held him under 20 points and four, seven turnovers. So just with that defensive versatility and, you know, their ability to, you know, dominate inside the paint, I don't think they should have any much of a problem uh, taking care of the Cavs. And like you mentioned, you know, earlier also with the, Sixers being at home, you know, dating back to last year, they're one of the strongest, if not the strongest home team when it comes to straight up records and against the spread going 30, 15 and two ATS, you know, pretty much over the last two seasons and a 10 and a half point line. The Cavs on the road, you know, going up against teams over 500, they're two and four ATS. And when the spread is between 10 to 12 points, they're uh, one and six. So. Um, looking at back in the Sixers tomorrow. Yeah, I looked at that roster, and it's like, you know, once they, you know, got Drummond out of there, I'm like, oh, man, they, they look rather miserable. I don't have anything against Allen, but I think that, you know, one of the big issues for the Cavaliers is the fact that they just don't have any offense right now that can go and score. I mean, where, where are they ranked smooth? Don't they have, like, they might even have, like, the worst offense in the league as far as points per game. Would I be right on that? Yeah, they're bottom three or bottom two, and and comes to offensive rating, they're bottom two, ranked twenty eight. So they're bad offensively and defensively. When I look at the team, obviously Love is he's not there, he's out, and they, they take Drummond out of there. I mean, I just don't know who the hell this this Cavs team's going to build around. I mean, it's got to be Sexton, but you know where do they go from here? Yeah, they like their uh, their backcourt, like you said, with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. Uh, they're pretty young. And then, you know, obviously sitting down and moving on from Andre Drummond and trading for Jared Allen. I think that's what they're going to be trying to, you know, look towards to to build around. 
but you know they're you know they've had their moments to where they you know when they played well but you know over this last stretch you know they've been been pretty bad you know before they won these two straight games against bad teams in the Hawks and the Rockets they lost about nine straight so I, I'm not really seeing the you know the confidence and building around you know that that trio you know even though they're talented it's just they're not, you know, performance, you know, winning type of basketball or something you really want to build around, you know, moving forward for the future. You know, you had brought up something yesterday that I wanted to kind of throw at you and McKenzie. You, know, you talked about, you know, the 76ers, and, and I was pushing back on you about, you know, how I thought the 76ers would end up kind of, you know, going back to where they've been and that the cream would rise to the top. But I think there is something that, that we have to look at with the 76ers and it's motivation with this team. Do we remember over the last couple of years, like has this team actually had like this type of motivation to go ahead and keep continuing to play well? And they are playing well. And I think a lot of it does have to do with their coach. But I just I wonder if motivation each and every night has become a factor for them in a positive. Mackenzie, how do you feel about that? Because I can't remember a 76ers team. Obviously, they're number one. Um, that's a good thing. But I just feel like there's this momentum type of drive, whether it would be in the media, social media, within the team. Um, I just feel like there is some type of a, a momentum type of drive for the 76ers team that's, you know, carrying them to play, you know, as well as they've been playing over the last, you know, month and a half. It's a great question because I've said many times the NBA is constructed like this. There's about five preseason games. There's about 82 this year, 72 uh, semi-preseason games, and then there's the playoffs where everyone that, you know, is a casual fan or even the most sincere, dedicated fans, that's when they perk up. That's when real basketball is played. So what's the motivations that each team has on a nightly basis? And they're not always exactly correlated. It's not just like our motivations to win a championship, let's play hard every night. It's like, let's work on this because if we need this in this series, we're going to have to make sure this guy is able to step up. So even if it's suboptimal, let's go for it. I feel like the Sixers with a new coach, new GM, and an MVP favorite, their motivations are pretty clear. They want they want, you know, coach of the year, GM of the year, and MVP. They want validation for the fact that, you know, this is a franchise that's been kind of known as disappointments despite their talent for the last four years. So there's actually something they, they can gain as far as, you know, re restoring their reputation in the regular season more so than a team like the Milwaukee Bucks that really they just got to work on playoff basketball because that's what they're deficient at. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, let me just throw this in there as far as, you know, the Cavaliers. They're going to end up having to play on the road here, and that's been, you know, a miserable setting for them. I don't think they've won – one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It looks like they lost their last at least eight. I'm just rolling back through the schedule. Maybe it looks like nine. They've lost like their last nine road games, and they're getting beat by margin. You know, there, there's a 10-point loss here, a 30-some point loss, um, you know, a 20. Um, it, they're getting beat by, by a decent amount of margin. I think the fact that the 76ers do have motivation here. Now, the Cavs were on a little bit of a – you know, a cold run there where they lost probably like, you know, 12 out of 14 games, but they did win their last two. Uh, I think that gives them a little motivation, but again, that was on the road or that was actually at home uh, against two bottom feeder teams in the Hawks and the Rockets. So I don't want to push back on your play here. It's 10 and a half points. I mean, that's, that's a healthy number to go ahead and lay. And I always want to have a team with, you know, motivation 
to go ahead and, and create margin. I think the fact that Embiid is, you know, in the MVP conversation, that they're doing anything to go ahead and, and you know, go ahead and keep this team moving in the right direction. So I don't want to push back on your play here, Smooth. So let's swing over here to the T-Wolves and the Wizards. Wizards going to be minus four here at home. We have a total of 235. Smooth, you've been high on this Wizards team. You were high on them earlier on in the year. And you and I had spoke. You know, we thought we had a decent lineup. Injuries kind of ravaged them a little bit. COVID kind of messed them up. And then, you know, the whole Westbrook thing kind of threw a wrench into their system. But they've been playing well. I think they won, like, what, like seven out of their last ten games. They're going to get a home game here against the Timberwolves, who, quite frankly, they have the worst record in the league. I don't know if they collectively have the worst roster, but I worry about teams tanking at this point. We can, we'll talk a little bit about tanking, but why don't we talk about the game first? Me personally, I would I would have no problem back in the Wizards here. Uh, I don't trust the Timberwolves to win at home, let alone go on the road against a team like the Wizards, who you know they're surging right now. And I, I honestly, I think that no matter what team Russell Westbrook's on, they're going to have you know motivation to win each and every night. He's not he's just not going to allow that to happen um, on any team he plays with. So I like the motivation. I like the situation here for the Wizards. I think the Wolves will be on a – will they be on a back-to-back or no? Actually, yeah, they will be on a back-to-back. They have to play on Sunday. Um, so that's my brief handicap, why I kind of like like the Wizards here. How are you feeling about that one, Smooth? Yeah, I agree with you. I'm leaning Wizards also. And, you know, just like you mentioned over the last 10 games, it's not the same team over the first 15 to 17 games. And the biggest reason is on the defensive end. You know, they ranked like bottom bottom five, bottom three in defense when it comes to rating and opponent effective field goal percentage, which is some of my favorite stats to measure how good a defense is. And over the last 10, they ranked top 10 or better. And it's not just that they're, you know, winning, you know, their, their last seven out of 10 games, six of their last seven, but they played eight, you know, playoff teams where, you know, they beat the Blazers, they beat the Lakers, you know, beat the Nuggets twice at home and on the road. And you mentioned, you know, uh, Westbrook getting healthy, um, you know, over that last 10 game stretch, he's averaging another triple double, you know, 20 points, 10 boards, 10 assists. And he's shooting fairly efficient from the field around 44%. But, you know, a crazy stat when Westbrook gets a triple double throughout his career, you know, the team that he's been on has a 70 plus percent win percentage. So as long as he's healthy, and, you know, they continue to play at a, you know, th- at a high level on the defensive end. You know, I think this is a stretch where they can continue on to the second half of the season because they have one of the uh, one of the top 10 uh, easiest schedules. And, you know, they just continue to keep playing well. And you mentioned, you know, the Timberwolves getting ready, you know, to tank. And I noticed that, you know, they recently made a coaching change and everybody was pretty much anticipating for them to hire within a lot of players on that team they were in favor of uh, David Vanderpool who came over from the Blazers who has high praises from Dame Lillard and and CJ McCollum but you know they went you know completely outside and hired somebody you know from the Toronto Raptors uh, bench and you know with that you know he may be coming the new coach may be coming in trying to change everything on the fly and you know they're just not that's just not something that you typically would do you know especially in the middle of the season like this. So I don't think that the a lot of players for the Timberwolves are, you know, warming up, you know, right away to the new head coach. And 
with things, you know, moving so fast on the fly, going up against a wizard, a hot Wizards team. And that could be an easy number for them to cover, you know, only laying four. I think one of the issues when you look at teams tanking, you have to ask yourself why teams do certain things or why they don't do certain things. You know, one of the things that I that I thought about as you were talking there is why why would you bring in a guy from outside? Well, one, he has no idea internally what's going on. But it's like, look, if you want a job, you do what we say and, and we're going to end up, you know, moving this organization in a different direction, hopefully in a positive one. And if you want to be part of that, um, just go ahead and, and kind of, you know, do what we need you to do. And more than likely, the coach that was there, you know, he wants to go ahead and keep his job and he's going to fight, you know, to the nail to probably win games. Uh, I understand that he could probably go ahead and, and, and take the other approach. But at some point, maybe guys just know too much for their own good. And I have a feeling that they just hired, you know, outside to um, continue with the plan um, that the brass wants to go ahead and succeed with. I also want to go ahead and get back to Westbrook here in a second and Bradley Beal. But Mackenzie, you had some numbers that, you know, had kind of a clearer picture, you know, when it comes to teams tanking. What, what were some of the things that you dug up? So starting in the 2019 draft, they said, you know, at the end of the season, if a team has a 15% or a 25% chance to get the number one pick, whether or not they lose, you know, human nature, it's just way too valuable a proposition not for teams to lose on purpose. So they smoothed it out. And now the bottom three teams each have an equal 14% chance to get the number one pick. So if you're fourth or fifth, you know, you might want to win for your fans or hopefully for a play-in tournament rather than try to lose for a, you know, 3% gain. I mean, the number fifth team gets an 11% chance. So it's not night and day anymore. Uh, smoothed it out, much less incentive to lose, but there's still incentive to lose. I mean, that's the whole premise of the lottery system for the worst teams to get better. I feel like there's actually more incentive in a way for teams to lose because if they know that they're going to get coupled into a group where, you know, they're all going to have this legitimate same chance that, you know, even teams who, you know, might be in the – in you know, six or seven slots from the worst slot. They're like, you know, if we could lose two more games, we might end up getting, you know, it's like you improve your lottery chances by, you know, getting stuck into that group. So I actually think it kind of creates more chances for a team to tank that that's down the bottom there. That's, that's kind of the way I, I think about it. I don't know. Do you, would you agree with that? I think it definitely could for a team that's like ninth worst in the league. Like, they could be a game and a half from an 11% chance, more than doubling the percent chance, if they could get from ninth to fifth. So that that wasn't the case in the old system. It mattered more if you were going from third, third worst to first worst. So now for the middle-tier bottom teams, like like the Hornets maybe, I mean, that's not they want to be a playoff team, but if it starts fading for them, or for the Thunder, who are 14 and 19, they could be the ninth. Easily, there are scenarios where it's almost exactly the same season, but in, one, in door A, they get an 11% chance. In door B, they get a 5% chance. So, yeah, there's either there could, you, I, I see your argument. In, in some cases, I can see it being – it's definitely true. You know, at the end of the day, and I say this a lot of times about football, you know, it's a business at the end of the day, and they need to bring in the most amount of money for, for the owners at the end of the day. And if you could sit down and, and, and look, there, there's bright people. You know, I could put – you know, McKenzie behind the desk and say, dude, figure this out on which teams you project are going to potentially tank, potentially be in a position to go ahead and tank. And how do we get these teams 
you know, to go ahead and match up against, you know, some of these teams when we need them to and, and this, that, and the other, you know, how do we get these particular teams in the playoffs? Like, we, you know, we need Luka in the playoffs. We need Zion in the playoffs. We need those teams at least somewhat to remain competitive. And I, and I know if I sat down and gave you, you know, a spreadsheet with, you know, 30 teams on there and 40 remaining games, you're going to be able to figure out some way somehow to kind of paint this picture. And I think that at the end of the day, this is a business. The picture that needs to be painted is they need to generate money one way or another. The more I think about it, it, it kind of separates, you know, the teams that they want in the playoffs and the teams that that maybe they don't want in the playoffs. And I think it also affords the teams the opportunity to go ahead and, and get themselves into, you know, an equal playing, you know, lottery field. So, um, you know, the more I think about it, I think it actually opens up the door for better handicapping, at least for, you know, guys like us who, you know, if there is a team in that, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh range, um, maybe potentially they, they think about, you know, going ahead and throwing a game or two away, you know, depending on the matchup that they have. So um, that's something that we can, you know, go ahead and probably stick in our back pockets and maybe use uh, for later on this season. Wait, hold up, hold up. On, on that thought, and stop me if I get too wild, I think you're dead on. And I think we have to make a distinction here. People are people that say it's the no bet association because the NBA is fixed, I, I have sympathy for their point, although I think they're wrong. It's about little edges. You can have you know, this team on a back-to-back facing this opponent with this referee, and each of those things is kind of a quarter to a half point disadvantage for those teams, but you've done the work. You're the NBA. You have a big office in Manhattan with tons of millions of dollars pumping through there. You've done the work. You give yourself the best chance, not for Team A to win the championship, but for team A to have a great chance to meet up with this team at the three to six, for sure. And they have scenarios that are just much more profitable for them. I don't think anyone else deserved the championship more than the Lakers, but it was definitely a very great scenario for them that the Lakers would start off badly and then come back in the bubble and win the championship. It was a good scenario for them. I bet they had a spreadsheet at the beginning of the year that said, this is a chance the Lakers win, and this is how much money we expect if they do. And that was a green, you know, XL field that they that they were smiling and happy and look and they liked to see. So I don't I don't think they're monsters, but I just think they're good at what they do. And yeah, they kind of taint the sport a little bit with the decisions they make and the schedulings that they that they proceed to make. But what else? Someone has to make the schedule. They might as well do it the best possible scenario for them, which is to make money. And and I mean, it's a nonprofit organization. The NBA is that supports for profit owners, and that's their job. I think if we go back and we look at, I think maybe like the blueprint to that, or I don't want to say blueprint, but it, it just go back to college football bowl season. They've made it where they can pick and choose who they want, when they want, and where they want them to play. Um, you know, that's kind of the way that their their business models run, at least today. Um, you know, and, and I personally don't like it because I think it gives schools, you know, a particular advantage to go ahead and recruit the best players and, and always remain um, at the top. And it's just, you know, the parody within college football um, is starting to get, in my opinion, it's, it's rather disgusting. I don't think the NBA will fall into that, but you make a good point. You know, they could throw, you know, NBA referee, you know, XYZ into a game and, and, you know, a lot of people might not notice it, but you know, how many times have we talked in the past about um, who, who was the referee that, that gave Harden, you know, like the hardest time we even Harden came out and he was like, this guy, man, you know, was it was it that Scott dude? Who was that? Smooth, you remember? I think it's Scott Foster. Yes, that, that, yep, that's the name. Yeah, Scott Foster. That's it. And like you know, there are particular players will come out and they'll speak out. I think even PG, 
even came out and he, and he, you know, mentioned, you know, specific referees, like, you know, like, why is this guy, you know, constantly refing games that I'm always in and this, that, and the other. And it's like, you know, it's, again, it's a business at the end of the day. And I think it, it not only does it, you know, it starts at the NBA, but it drops down to the next level to the owners. And I have a feeling that, you know, somebody like the Timberwolves and with, you know, with, with smooth mention that, there's something going on there and I don't want to speculate. I mean, I'm sure the players want to win, but again, you can make certain things happen if, if you want them to happen. So um, we we'll leave that alone. I don't want to talk too much about tanking. Um, it's, it's a little early for that, but I think now is probably time that, that we start at least thinking about it. You know, we can, you know, still bet in the futures markets. We can bet, you know, team total uh, under and over, and we maybe could project out, you know, some bets to find within there. But I do want to go ahead and circle back to Russell Westbrook and give me a percentage. I'll I'll start with McKenzie and I'll leave Smooth because I have a feeling Smooth might be a little bit higher. But McKenzie, on on a scale from 1 to 100 percentage-wise, what do you think the odds are that Bradley Beal ends up getting traded away from the Wizards? Man, before the season, I would have said probably 60 to 70% before the trade deadline. Now... There's, you know, there's a spark to that team and, you know, this could end up being the wrong, the wrong sentiment, but just from the, you know, from the tea leaves, from the rumblings, from what Beal's agent says, I'd say it's less than a 20% chance that he gets traded before the deadline. Before next season, it's, it's higher, much higher, but only 20%, I think. All right. So that's kind of what I was thinking you were thinking. Um, I don't want to make my case yet. I first want to get Smooth's number on that. So Smooth, if you had to pick. A percentage that Beal ends up moving out of there. What would you say it is? Um, at the trade deadline or in the off season? Let's go ahead and say trade trade deadline. Um, at the trade deadline, I would say it's, I would say uh, about a fifteen percent chance. All right. So Mackenzie, when you said twenty percent, were you thinking trade deadline or just throughout the year? Before the trade deadline. All right, cool. That's kind of what I was thinking, um, that, that if he's going to go, it's going to be before the trade deadline. Here's my question, is that Westbrook's playing at a level where, and Smooth, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that he, he's starting to get back to that normal Westbrook type of level. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I 100% agree, and I watched him uh, for a while now. I mean, he's one of my favorite players. I try not to be as biased as I am with my opinion with his game. But, yeah, I, I would agree with that. There has to be a reason for that. Like, I get it. He's world class. He can probably flip the switch. But I just wonder if, and, and I was thinking about this, if Westbrook has this added motivation where he doesn't have to be the number two much longer, where he can go ahead and step into his role where, all right, I'm going to become the number one, and Bradley's probably going to end up leaving here. I need to get back to my to my normal game. Like it just seems like he was he wasn't Westbrook, and and now he is. And there's something that had to, had to spark that. And I guess it, you know it could be flip the switch world to class. But that's just something that I was thinking about. Like you know how did how did Westbrook turn this all around? Maybe it just took some time. I don't know. But I worry about you know players who go from you know being well below their average to here's my norm again from you know and they just turn it around really quick. So I just wonder if Westbrook maybe knows something. Maybe he's like, I need to go ahead and start taking over. I need to, you know, go ahead and start assisting, rebound, and scoring again. Um, if if that was, you know, maybe maybe that that's something that I'm just thinking a little bit too crazy about. But 
that worries me about, you know, maybe the Wizards keeping Beal. The fact that Westbrook's actually playing that well. Do you guys think I'm crazy for that? Smooth, I'll let you go ahead and, and go first. you think I'm nuts with that one or not? Um, I think it's an interesting point because, you know, throughout his career, throughout his career, you know, we've seen Westbrook, you know, dominate a game in a lot of different ways. And when he decides to take a game over offensively, you know, he's, he's going to do that and, and score or shoot 20 to 25 shots a game. But I just think with what we're seeing from Westbrook now is that, you know, he's just healthy now. And um, I just remember going back to that, that second time that they beat the Nets and he had probably a sec his one of his better games of, of the season. Um, you know, he just talked about how healthy he was now compared to um at the beginning of the season when he was dealing with uh injury to his quad or something like that. And you can see it in his play, you know, when he isn't really that healthy and has a slow start to the season, he settles for a lot of jumpers and a lot of threes and he's not a three point shooter. But he's gonna, you know, he's gonna take it, or he ha- he has to take it. And when he is healthy, you know, he's playing in transition, pushing the pace, and 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 getting to the basket at will. He has a lot of the uh, Chris Paul effect in terms of elevating teammates and elevating rosters. You know, when he's healthy, and I just think that's something with what a little bit of what's going on with how well the Wizards have been playing lately. All right, Mackenzie, what do you think? Think I'm nuts? No, uh, not exactly. No, not at all. Uh, hot take. This is Westbrook's point per game in his career. So in 2012, I think it was his first All-Star year. Or, you know, 2011 was his first All-Star year. He's at 22. 23, 23, 22. Then that year that Durant got hurt, 2014 and 2015, he started off about 23, 22, scored 28 per game that one year where he got hurt and led the team almost to the playoffs. Then he gets his own team. He's at 32. Then last year, he's kind of on his own team. He has high usage. He has 27. And then this year, back to 20. Maybe he's exactly the same guy in just different roles. I mean, not exactly the same guy. Obviously, he has ups and downs. His field goal percentage can be 30% one month. It can be 50% one month. But yeah, given that, given that structure, that you know, clear pattern, he's, he's got to want his own team. I mean, if he cares, and he would tell you he doesn't, his agent probably would tell you, you gave him truth serum, he does. If he cares about, you know, his brand, his legacy, the idea that he's a top 10 player or not, or if he wants to win basketball games, I, I kind of want to see this this pair stick together. Like, I think they'd be the, you know, cool seventh seed or maybe even surprise somebody next year and, and get better. But, I mean, a Westbrook fan that or a fantasy owner of Westbrook would want to get his own team. But I don't think there's any shame in, you know, playing excellent and just literally – scoring less per game or, you know, having a less box plus minus or whatever. It's all basketball. Like people that know the game will tell you that it's, it's not a, it's not about what is said about it after the fact. It's about how well you play the game and he plays it pretty damn well. And I think he should be proud of that. And he should be proud of that. He should use it to win basketball games, not to record another triple double necessarily. Yeah. I won't disagree with that either. I think that they're uh... They're an interesting, an interesting team as we move closer to the uh, the trade deadline. I just wonder what the Wizards can go ahead and get in return for somebody like Beal, who right now is, you know, I mean, I mean, where do we have him rated? You know, according to the to the betting line, I mean, he's got to be worth you know four four and a half points right now, which puts him, you know, within probably like the top ten players, you know, worth the most amount to the betting line. 
and generally you're going to get you're going to get a good haul and maybe they they realize that he's going to want a ton of money or something like that i don't know i don't i just i wonder where the wizards are going because i i i particularly felt like they had a nice young core um and they could bring in a lot of you know particular help maybe to build around westbrook maybe they would look at maybe some wing players yeah i i didn't get a chance to talk about the spread why is it minus four what what the timberwolves are so terrible the wizards have won seven of ten i'm I'm gonna do more work on it but yeah strong strong consideration of the wizards tomorrow for sure for me i think smooth actually brought this up before you actually jumped on the pod and and one thing that smooth was a little bit concerned about and maybe you even have numbers with this mckenzie is you know one of the narratives in in nba and and even you know nfl or whatever sport it might be you know when teams come off you know a long road trip and they finally get to come back home well uh smooth how many games did the wizards play on the road you know and and now they're gonna end up coming back home because that's why we were thinking maybe this line was where it was actually at i believe it was a a five game uh west coast road trip so i don't know if that helps you out mckenzie but like what type of numbers have you actually seen you know with teams coming off of those west coast road trips uh, especially for a team from the east coast i mean maybe it was you know a west coast trip for for you know the suns or something like that no big deal but you know the fact that teams going from the east to the west are gone for you know seven ten days you know, have you found anything trend-wise that tells us maybe, you know, we, we look to go ahead and stay away or go ahead and back? I've heard that many times, you know, since I first got to Vegas in 2013. And it makes a lot of sense. And I've definitely anecdotally been like, ah, I don't trust that team at home. And then they don't cover. But I just ran the numbers. Our database goes back to, I think, 1995 for regular season games. Five straight road games followed by a home team, home game. It's under 50%, but it's only 49, 49.2%. I, maybe if you split up east, west, different kinds of teams, uh, there are profitable and non-profitable trends in there. But in general, it's 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 kind of an urban legend. It's not really that big of a factor, if if at all. Wait, hold on. I, I don't want to say it's an urban legend because I think there is some truth to it. But it's not as simple as you know, team played five road games. Now they're at home, therefore fade them. Uh, that, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that there's not any truth to it because I know a lot of smart people that have brought that up in the fact, including this guy. So. Well, I think maybe one of the reasons is it's it's the Wizards. And, you know, maybe it's their record um, more than anything. Maybe it has a little bit to do with, the, you know, being on the road, you know, coming back home. But um, it all seems like we all kind of agree here that, you know, we don't want to touch, you know, the T-Wolves in this one. It's going to be the Wizards or nothing um, for us. Uh, we do have two more games we want to talk about, Nuggets and Thunder, Pacers and Knicks. Uh, let's talk about the Nuggets and the Thunder Mackenzie, you like the Nuggets in this game, and they're going to be minus seven. The total right now at two twenty-five and a half. You know, if there was one team that I could pick to miss the playoffs right now in the West, um, I think that the Nuggets could potentially be, you know, that team. I think. Look, I get it. Like Jokic is playing awesome, but I just think that there's just way too much, too much stuff going through that guy. Um, that they're not getting the rest of the team involved into you know, a regular type of game flow. Um, that's just the way that I feel. I don't know if there's any other big man, you know, really in the league. Maybe Embiid, but he's still, he's not, you know, he's, he's not f- facilitating the basketball and just to the way that Jokic is. So I don't know. But clearly, in my mind, the Nuggets should be better than what their record is. Um, and I know that they've had issues. They've had some injuries and things of that nature. But Still with a guy like Jokic and a guy like Murray, and I don't think Murray is playing anywhere near 
um, what what he could potentially play like. I do worry about the Nuggets, um, you know, making the playoffs this season. That, that's a team that I'm looking at that maybe they were in the playoffs last year. Maybe they don't make it this year. I don't know. Um, but you do like the Nuggets in this particular game. Okay, see, we'll be on a back-to-back. They got a win tonight uh, against Atlanta, 118-109. So the Thunder will be on a back-to-back. Nuggets will be rested. Why don't you go ahead and throw out some of your uh, key factors here for you back in the Nuggets in this one? I've downgraded the Nuggets slightly from the start of the season, but I wasn't that high on them at the beginning of the season. There's been plenty of centers in NBA history that have played really well. Kareem in 1975 is an example I always use because he won the MVP that season, despite the fact that he missed the playoffs. You know, you need your small guys, your perimeter guys, your fast guys to not only feel involved, but be involved. And, you know, since the 60s, the Celtics won with pace. You know, you need to pace and space even today. If it's not working with the other four guys, despite Jokic's brilliance, I could see them missing the playoffs too. Look, we talked about this before the podcast. The Mavericks are minus 250 to make the playoffs. And they're currently sitting at nine. So somebody's out. Maybe the Spurs. I could definitely see that. You were talking about that. Great call. In my opinion, we'll see how that goes. But somebody's going to drop out. So that said, I'm not here saying that the Nuggets are going to be uh, you know, a Western Conference final candidate again. I'm just saying they're going to beat the Thunder by seven. And there's two major trends here that you have to consider. I've said this before. Road favorites between five and ten in the modern NBA the sample size is too large to ignore. Since 2018 so, till today, so three seasons, 244 winners, 171 losers, 12 pushes, 59%. And the and the ATS margin is only a half point. It's only about a point. So what is it? It's the fact that when home teams get down, let's say you're winning the whole game like the Bulls tonight, you get down by three, You can even without fans, I guess, you feel the air get let out of the room. You're like, oh, we had this one. We should have won as a big home dog, but... Looks like we're going to lose it. The Suns outscored the Bulls by 20 in the fourth quarter because once they got that edge, that lead in the modern NBA, three start flowing and you end up covering the spread, even if it's tight the whole game. So that system's been working. And this one is particular to the Thunder. So I ran this query. If you're a home dog and you win, and the next game you're a home dog, our database goes back to 95, you're only covering 45% of the time. And this is the kicker. This is the filter. That made me said, okay, that's it. That's enough. I'm playing this. You rest equals zero. So you're a home dog. The very you win. The very next night you're a home dog again. You already, you know, at least split as probably a not very good team. 30 winners, only 14 losers since 1995. Last five years, 14 and five. Both 70%. I, I understand. I, I get the logic. Makes sense to me. I already like I liked it for another reason. So despite the Nuggets' disappointment on the course of the season, and I completely agree with you on that front, I'm going to have my money on the Nuggets minus seven tomorrow, visiting the Thunder. All right, so McKenzie's going to go ahead. He's going to back the Nuggets tomorrow. Um, It's not that I don't like them in that particular situation there, McKenzie, but I do have my concerns, you know, for them for the season. I also have a concern, you know, let's just take a look at what Jokic has done this year. Look, granted, like the dude's been balling out of his mind. But I do have concerns when, you know, I see a player shooting 30 times a game. Like, how many NBA players are shooting it 30 times? I would actually like to know how many players have taken 30 shots in a game, you know, this entire season. I'm guessing there can only be a handful. But it's not like Jokic hasn't done that, you know, just once. He's done it a handful of times. And, you know, it's resulted in more losers than it has winners for the Nuggets. So, 
you know, Smooth, you understand the game from an X's and O level. You understand it from playing the sport. What does that actually do to the team? Let's just say in the game and, and maybe even the next day, because you know, when you got a guy that's taking 30 some shots, he's taking a third of the shots on the floor, you know, it has to affect players, you know, getting in some type of rhythm or you know, maybe they get upset. I don't know. Maybe like, what would you say? Like, how would you view that? Um, typically when you see a player take that many shots pretty noticeably in, in, you know, in their games, um, he's typically trying to put the offense, you know, on his shoulders. And from the Nuggets standpoint, kind of, I don't disagree with his approach because, you know, like they've been banged up and Jamal Murray hasn't really carried over that production from the bubble into the regular season. Now he's had his moments in games, but it hasn't been consistent enough to, to where, you know, Jokic doesn't feel like he has to be that aggressive on offense. And then you also throw into the fact that they lost, you know, Jeremy Grant and didn't really replace that level of production. And Jeremy Grant's play throughout the year with the Nuggets and into the the playoffs, including the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers, you know, you can kind of start to see, you know, he was breaking out and having some really good games. And, you know, you see what he's doing with the Pistons even though they're they're a terrible team, you know, he's having a great individual year. And then you also have to throw in, throw in the fact that Paul Millsap has been out, you know, Gary Harris has been out. So just seeing Jokic take that many shots a game, I would have to say it's 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 not normal for him to do that, um, especially when the team is like the Nuggets, you know, over the last year or a half or so has been one of the deeper teams, one of the most more one of the more balanced you know, offensive teams in the league, you know, just a couple of games that come to the top of my head, you know, watching them last year, you know, they would have seven or eight guys, uh, you know, in one game, you know, go go with double figures. So he doesn't, you know, uh, come across as a very aggressive offensive player when it comes to, you know, taking a lot of volume shots. So um, when you see him take that many shots a game, you just have to um, see, you know, take it, take into consideration everything else that's really, really inconsistent with the nuggets around him right now. You know, I don't think he's a selfish player, but I do think once players start getting the, you know, the hype on social media and becoming, you know, like, look, if McKenzie was a basketball player and I was his agent and he was put in a particular situation to blow his brand up, I'm going to tell him to blow his brand up uh, because there's money and there's dollars and cents involved in that. But I don't think, you know, Jokic is one of those selfish type of players. But I think that, you know, what the effect of, you know, somebody that's out there shooting at 30 times a game, you know, whether you win or whether you lose, it could create chemistry problems. And as you had mentioned, I think the chemistry would come from players not being in that lineup that need to be in that lineup. Like, you know, they have a good relationship more than likely with the Gary Harris, who's been there for years. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. hasn't been you know, on the court the entire season. But, you know, you're trying to mix in this guy, mix in that guy. And you just wonder if if that will create, you know, issues within the locker room. You know, I think that, that that's something that we have to look at. Um, it's just something that I'm thinking about, you know, right now with, you know, the Nuggets record. And then I look and I'm like, well, Jokic is taking all these shots. I could see if they were winning all these games and the team was happy. Um, maybe they are happy. I don't know. But I just think there's, you know, things that I like to think about, you know, with, with, you know, goofy, goofy shit in general. So that's one of the things that I was kind of thinking about. All right. So with all my cockamamie crap out of the way and all my conspiracy theory stuff, let's jump over to the Eastern Conference again. Then we'll close out the podcast with the Pacers and the Knicks. Knicks are going to be here at home. Minus one total 216. Um, 
I like the Knicks in this game. Uh, they're a team that generally I, I don't put money on, and I haven't put money on this team a lot over the last couple of years, and pretty much because, you know, that team's been miserable. Um, but they're going to play the Pacers here. Pacers will be on a back-to-back. They ended up losing tonight, and they were on the road in Boston, so it's going to be a back-to-back road game here for them. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what's necessarily going on with the Pacers. I thought maybe they would have been a little bit better than McKenzie had brought up. You know, where's TJ Warren at? Where's Lavert at? Well, those guys aren't in the lineup right now. So, you know, maybe they're missing some scoring. Maybe they're missing offense, defense. But I'm more concerned about the Knicks. Like, I, I couldn't come up with, you know, how the hell did the Knicks, you know, go ahead and turn their season around? And we were talking yesterday about, you know, teams that are, you know, exceeding their, their expectation. And the one team that stuck out to me, at least in the East, was was the Knicks. Um, it looks like they got the same roster, but they do have a new coach. And, you know, we talked yesterday about Rivers, and maybe he's the reason why the 76ers are playing well. It's smooth, man. McKenzie, you guys both know Tibbs. I mean, you guys, you know, he's one of your guys. You were talking yesterday, smooth, uh, about Chicago. And McKenzie, I know you know Chicago well, being that, you know, you're from Chicago. So uh, I'll throw it to you guys. Smooth, I'll throw it to you first. What do you think is the biggest change right now in the Knicks that, you know, that they're having this positive of a season right now? Yeah, I know you mentioned Tibbs and, you know, he might have a, a bad rep and you see a lot of a lot of Twitter jokes about how, you know, he doesn't, you know, take his players out or give them any rest. But um, I think he's one of the great one of the greatest coaches when it comes to terms of uh, defense. And when you look at the um, the Knicks, where they sit defensively, you know, they're a top three or five, you know, defensive team this year when it comes to, you know, points given up and defensive efficiency. And just over the years, you know, we never associated the Knicks with, any type of, you know, uh, good play on the defensive end or any type of good play, you know, in general. But, you know, it just goes to show that in the NBA, you know, every roster has talent. But, you know, it's all about what um, the coaching staff and, you know, and what can the coach bring out of you. And, you know, they have, you know, Julius Randle, who's a first-time All-Star. And that's a big accomplishment for him. Um, seeing that his career started out when he missed, you know, his full season, his full rookie season, breaking his leg and just never really finding a footing, you know, in L.A. or never really being recognized in New Orleans. But, you know, his time in New York, you know, he's turned himself into an all star. You know, R.J. Barrett was really inconsistent last year. He's been a lot better this year. And even though he hasn't been there that long, but uh, Derrick Rose's second stint with the Knicks, and, you know, Tom Thibodeau just doing just did a really good job of having all of those guys, you know, buy in on the defensive end. And, you know, if you, I watched the Knicks a few games uh, uh, quite a bit this year. And, you know, there was guys that was playing, you know, at the beginning of the year that aren't playing now, like Austin Rivers and Kevin Knox, who was a lottery pick for them. You know, Tom Thibodeau, he just doesn't give he just doesn't care about, you know, that type of stuff or, you know, guys' egos, you know, he's there to win and he's there to turn things around and the guys that buy in will be the guys that play, especially on the defensive end. You know, and he brought some familiar faces like Derrick Rose. You also see Taj Gibson back and, you know, those were uh, guys that he had with the Bulls and the Timberwolves. So, um, yeah, I have to give a lot of credit to, you know, to Tom Dib- to Tom Thibodeau and I agree with you back in the Knicks tomorrow, uh, probably catching a point now. You know, you make a great point, and and it, I think it just it points more to the coaching than anything. 
you know, if you go back and you look at the Knicks throughout the last couple of years, I mean, they had guys on the bench that were 10 deep that were getting, you know, 14 minutes, 18 minutes, 20 minutes. And it was like, you know, like who the hell is in this team starting lineup? And I think a lot of that held Randall back because he's been on the team for a couple of years. And now it's like, as you had mentioned, you know, Tibbs is out there putting his guys out on the floor for extended minutes, more minutes than, than they've ever, you know, seen probably before in their career. But, you know, when you mentioned Knox, uh, there's a guy right there who was, you know, him and, and guys like Von Lee, you know, they're they're coming off the bench, they're starting, they're getting, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game, and the Knicks were just absolutely miserable. And then to not see Knox getting any time, really. Um, I mean, he had his, his couple games there where he played, you know, 8, 10 minutes, but I think it points to the coaching because, as you had mentioned, Tibbs is going to do what he needs to do. He's going to bring in players that understand his culture and can go ahead and, uh, you know, go ahead and teach that. So, I don't know. Do we maybe look at – maybe I'm going a little bit too crazy here. Mackenzie, you, I don't know if you saw Coach of the Year odds anywhere for the NBA, but let's just say the Knicks make the playoffs. You know, do we look at, at maybe a Thibodeau to maybe go ahead and steal, you know, steal that award? Are, are we are we impressed with – you know, I, I don't think Steve Nash would get it um, personally, and I don't think – I don't think the Lakers coach would get it. I mean, maybe it would be between – you know, Utah, um, maybe Rivers would be in there. But, you know, could we throw Thibodeau in there? Maybe if the Knicks somehow, some way, keep, keep up this level of play, you know, with the Eastern Conference, how, you know, how miserable they are, you know, maybe could we maybe cash a big ticket? What do you think? Yeah, I don't have the odds in front of me, but there are definitely some prices that would be attractive to me. I think you're right. I don't think Rivers, uh, he's, his name is kind of loaded in NBA circles, and he's kind of bit, he's, he's won it too many times, even in Orlando back in the day. So I don't think Rivers, even though he shares my last name, which I appreciate, I think it's between Snyder, who's probably got to be the favorite, and then Tibbs. Because, yeah, if there's one team in the East Coast that's played better than expectations besides the Sixers, it's really only the Knicks. And they went from a team without any big roster changes that was a bad defensive team to a team that's number three by cleaning the glass. So it really only on all points to Tibbs. Julius Randle's playing 36 and a half minutes per game. That's like a 2010 number. That's like that's like a Tom Thibodeau coach of the year back in the day type number. That's he leads the NBA in minutes, total minutes, more than LeBron, more than anybody. Like 1200 minutes coming into today. I actually had to look that up for some. Yeah, it's all it all points to Tibbs and and it's all to his credit. You know, the Raptors today, they were out five coaches including their head coach, Nick Nurse, and the point spread did nothing, zero change. It stayed at 8. They were hosting the Heat. And then Pascal Siakam, my number 34 player in the league, he's out with COVID protocols. The line instantly moves two points. So there's a lot of data that says for one game, coaches doesn't really matter. I mean, Tibbs is on the sideline, you know, seven feet on the court, telling people to get low and yelling at Joe for some reason. And it makes a difference, but I think it makes more of a difference over the course of the season, the type of mentality that he installs. Any one game, it might not matter so much. We saw that in the point spread today, but there's only one major change that the Knicks franchise did, and that that man deserves credit. That's Tom Thibodeau. You know, I do have a question because I'm looking right now to reach the playoffs, and and the Knicks are are plus two sixty to go ahead and make the playoffs. I'm just wondering if that's a good bet. Let's uh, and smooth. You would know probably better than anybody here. You know, let's just say at the trade deadline, you know, and I know you know some of the players that are out there. You know, who do you think Tibbs might actually go ahead and maybe target? You know, what do you think the Knicks might actually make a move to um, go ahead and improve their team? Because 
look, when the Knicks make the playoffs, um, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing for the NBA. You know, do you think that there's a potential player out there that that would really work with the Knicks right now? And and more than anything, you know, do you think the Knicks would potentially make a move? Because at plus two sixty to go to make the playoffs, you know, being where they're sitting right now, the way that they're playing, the way that they're being coached, I'll tell you what, man, that looks pretty. That looks pretty attractive to me, especially if we can go ahead and predict, you know, a potential future move right now for the Knicks before the deadline. Yeah, I um I like their roster uh, the way it is. I know Mitchell Robinson is out right now, and he's kind of like their defensive big man that that starts and plays well. But they're holding down the fort pretty good with um, Nerlens Noel and Taj Gibson. But um, there is one guy out there that I think that they can go after that to help improve the roster. But it all depends on the type of role that he's looking to play. Like if he's looking to be you know, a guy that's, you know, ring chasing and going to play, you know, 10 to 15 minutes and wants to go to a contender. Or if he wants to go to a team like the Bulls, the Hornets, uh, Heat, Raptors, Knicks, Wizards, um, I think DeMarcus Cousins would be a good fit to kind of solidify that front court even more. Um, even his time with Houston, he played really well. He had a couple big games, especially when Christian Wood was out. The one that sticks out in my mind in particular was the game against the Mavericks when he had about 25 points and 15 plus rebounds. But, you know, he looks healthy. Um, and if the rumors are rumors are true that he wanted out of Houston because he didn't really want to back, be a backup to Christian Wood and wanted to be and wanted to you know, showcase more of his skill set, then, you know, a place like the Knicks, you know, he could help them solidify a playoff spot and probably cash that ticket of being plus 260 to make the playoffs for the Knicks. So he would be the one guy that, you know, I would say that's out there that's available because I think they're they're pretty solid, you know, when it comes to guard play, you know, having Derrick Rose, Alfred Payton, and Emmanuel Quickly and the rest of the guards that they have. Um, Julius Randle handles the ball, and he they, he uses him like a guard as well. So they probably just need a, a big man like that that's versatile. I read an article the other day about what teams can and can't do, but I can't find it. I'm just curious if they have money, if they have picks. I always remember the Bulls kind of being active, though, like especially with Thibodeau. Well, we've seen throughout NBA history, especially recently, teams that make moves tend to keep on making moves if they're buyers. I don't think there's anybody that's more than a buyer than the Knicks franchise haven't made the playoffs since 2013. So if they can get to Marcus Cousins and I get them a half win, I think they, 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 they do it. The Chicago Bulls, you know, Back to that tips mentality, they were always over the cap doing everything they can to give themselves every edge. That's how you got to do it when you don't have any superstars. What do you think about that plus 260 to make the playoffs, McKenzie? Do you think that that might be something that we should, you know, look at maybe investing into now? It looks – it honestly looks like like easy money. Like, I don't understand it. Plus 260. Uh, I mean, that, it, it just tells me that I don't understand how hard their schedule is maybe. Let's look. I'm looking at Tankathon now. Thanks, Smooth, for uh, – for giving me this resource, Knicks. Yeah, the Knicks are right in the middle of, of the of the challenging side of the bracket, and they're the sixth seed. And I don't think what they've been doing has been fluff or anything that's not repeatable. I, I think you got to – personally, me, when, when I see it, I'm definitely going to just da- – I'm going to dabble in it. Plus 260, it's, it scares me, honestly, that it's plus 260, because if you would have asked me, I would have said, like, minus 110. I think that that's something that we should probably circle back to when it comes to – you know, the Knicks and the Sixers, as I, I said, there's something that's given, you know, the Sixers motivation and the fact that they're the number one seed in the East, that's got to be giving them motivation. But 
the fact that the Knicks aren't sitting, you know, down there with the Orlando Magics and the Cleveland Cavaliers and Detroit Pistons of the world, and the fact that they're, you know, sitting in the sixth seed right now and they're literally, you know, a half game out of being, you know, in the fourth seed, like that team has to be motivated and they're playing well. So um, there's just a big culture change there, I think, right now with the Knicks. And I think if you want to take a shot, you do it now because, look, if they go and they beat Indiana, Indiana falls, you know, further out of the playoff picture. Um, it, Mackenzie, does it look like, you know, looking at their schedule, like they can rattle off at least, I don't, I want to say better than a 50, 50 record, let's say like maybe over their next 10 games. You no, know, when you look at their next 10 games, does it look, does it look daunting or does it look positive, you know, with, with home and road and the teams that they have to play? Well, the next two games is critical because I, I like your pick. I think they're going to beat the Pacers tomorrow and then they face Detroit who are getting three points against the Kings on an 0-9 run. So they're probably priced right now by the market as the worst team in the league. If they go 2-0, that's I think that's big, especially over Indiana. And then I think this number goes down significantly. After that, they got at Spurs, tough one, and then the Pistons again. So those are winnable games. They should go 3-1 and in the next four. And then, you know, mixed bag after that, Bucks, Nets coming up in Sixers, but a few, a few gimmies thrown in there as well. So... Yeah, I think you're right. I think if you like this, if you like this bet, I think you make it now. You know, and as you're talking there, I'm thinking, you know, we do have a shortened season. So, you know, a lot of these players, at least, and I'm, I'm sure everybody knows kind of the season, but, you know, you could fall into, you know, I've been in the league for 12 years and I know that we're not even at the all-star break yet. And we still have, you know, the, the entire second half, but this the season did shorten. So I'm guessing that, you know, there's not going to be, you know, you're not going to have that wiggle room to go ahead and, and, you know, go on that three or four game, you know, losing streak where you're like, you know, I might be able to make it up at the end of the year. We'll we'll, we'll catch our pace when we get, you know, X, Y, Z player back. So, um, I don't know, something I was thinking about. I think that actually might be uh, a half decent bet where at least you can go in and get some shine, um, you know, plus 260 going ahead and taking the Knicks to make the playoff. Uh, might not be a bad bet. I'll have to dig into that one. Um, tonight and maybe I'll go ahead and make that wager but uh, that'll wrap it up guys there we go talking about the Knicks and the Wizards and a couple other teams it's funny we talked for over an hour uh, about a bunch of junk teams in the NBA um, that we typically haven't talked about so uh, as right now uh, the Lakers I gave that out as my pick tonight they're tied in the third quarter uh, at 59 so we'll see how that pans out Uh, Dan Rivera hit his play that he gave out last night guys I don't know if you guys bet that but I did I ended up getting the uh, the Denver team at 74 and a half. Uh, they ended up, I think, with like 76 or 77. So it was pretty close. But Dan Rivera went ahead, cashed that ticket. So uh, happy about that. But with that said, you guys can follow us all on Twitter. You can get me at SleepyG underscore pregame. You can get Jay Smoove at Smoove underscore 702. And you can get Mackenzie Rivers at Mac and Rivers. Make sure you guys go ahead over to thebettingpredators.com. Subscribe. Get all the podcasts. Check out all the articles over there. Mackenzie has his. Uh, power ratings up which is certainly an interesting read you just don't get a number with the team you get uh, a little bit of an explanation behind uh, why he thinks that they deserve to be where they're at so make sure you guys check that out and check this all out on the best sports betting information site on the web pregame.com with that said i'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck on your nba saturday enjoy the games